Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Can Do Pod Things. I am one of your hosts, Annalise. And I am Emily. Hello again, or for the first time. Uh, today on We Can Do Pod Things, we are going to be talking about the Enneagram episode of We Can Do Hard Things, which is episode 89 of season one. It aired on April 21st, 2021. And this episode is the first one that we have covered that featured. A guest. The guest on this episode was Ashton Whitmore Ober, and you can follow her on Instagram at Enneagram Ashton. Full disclosure, I did not realize that this was an episode. Emily said, let's do one on the Enneagram. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and then she's told me today that there was an Enneagram episode of We Can Do Hard Things, which is, I should have checked. I left out a critical piece of information, but I let Emily do all the work on this one. So, um, I really don't know what happened in the podcast and I'm ready for Emily to tell me about it. But also I do know a little bit about the Enneagram because amazing. Before we get started with that though, we do have a quote of the week and it's actually a poem. This poem is called People Aren't Homes. Child, why did no one ever teach you that you cannot turn people into homes? People are rivers, ever-changing, ever-flowing. They will disappear with everything you put inside them. Still, your home does have a heartbeat, but it isn't one locked in anyone else's chest. Just look inside your own. And this is by Nikita. Do you remember last week when we were talking about how hard it is when you look for anything that you really need outside of your own self. Yes. This is that. Yeah. Specifically. Takes me right there. Right there. It's all connected. Mm -hmm. And we also have a lovely listener of the week. This week's listener is none other than my dear friend, Carrie. Carrie says about the podcast, you have such satisfying voices, and your friendship is very beautiful. The parenting stuff is fully relevant to them because they consider themselves still a child. <laughs> Same. Spoiler alert. We all do. <laughs> we all consider ourselves still a child. So, Carrie, it means so much to me that you are listening. Um, I adore you. Thank you so much for your kind, kind words of encouragement. All right. Carrie, I don't know you, but I like you. Yeah. Um, all right. I think that's enough to do beforehand. Oh, uh, one other thing to mention. Emily and I are very intimately sharing this microphone because mm -hmm. we are still figuring out how to work technology and what does and doesn't work. And so we're just, we're trying it this way. So be aware because we're fans of communication and vulnerability. And transparency. That too. <laughs> All right. Take it away, Emily. Okay. So if you were listening last week, you may remember that I have a bit of a love affair with the Enneagram. And so after I kind of talked about it just a little last week, maybe I talked about it more than a little, <laughs> um, it felt like the next right thing, as Glennon would say, to kind of dive in deeper this week. And fortunately, uh, Glennon, Abby, 
sister. And Ashton did a fantastic episode about the Enneagram that covers a lot of really good stuff. And then we've also got, as per usual, some of our own thoughts about the Enneagram that we're excited to share. So we're going to lead in with Annalise walking us through the nine different Enneagram types. Okay. But before I do that, speaking of Glennon and Abby and sister, um, did you ever see the movie Julie and Julia? Yes. Do you know that she just, she just died. Julie did? Julie Powell did. Oh, yeah. No. Like did a month ago. God. I did not know that. Sorry. I didn't mean to take it to it's, such a dark place. It's fine. It's going to go there eventually because it's us. But I am terrified that <laughs> when, if they they hear our podcast about their podcast. They hate it. That it's going like, to be a Julia Julia. Listen, I I can sit with the discomfort of being misunderstood, but not that much. Yeah, so, that's going to be a rough one. I, that would never happen. I, I'm sure it wouldn't. But it's still a lingering fear that I have. So I just want to put this out there. This is absolutely out of admiration and support and gratitude for the lessons that you are teaching us in We Can Do Hard Things. And also, if you hate it, we'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) I, okay, I am going to now introduce you to the nine Enneagram types. And then I'm also going to introduce you to the redesigned, reimagined Enneagram type by Hannah Page. From her book, Millenniagram, because I think they're clever. So the first, the number one, is the reformer, being right and making things right. Number two is the helper, reaching out to help others. Three is called the achiever, getting attention by being successful. Four is the individualist looking for what's missing. Five is the investigator analyzing how things Six is the loyalist looking for what could go wrong. Seven, the enthusiast looking for what's next. Eight, the challenger being in power. And nine, the peacemaker maintaining peace and harmony. Now, if you read the millenniagram, they are renamed. There's also other um, standard names, traditional names for the one, in addition to it being called the reformer, it's often called the perfectionist. Two, in addition to being called the helper, is also called the giver. Three may also be known as the performer. Four may also be known as the romantic. Five may also be known as the observer. Six may also be known as the devil's advocate or the questioner. Seven is often referred to as the adventurer or the epic. Eights have also been referred to as the asserter or the boss. Nines are often also called the mediator. Those are all the traditional names. And if you're somebody who doesn't know your Enneagram type, 
you can very easily just Google. It'll take you to a number of quizzes. I think I took mine on Truity. Um, I actually think I took a few, but that was probably my favorite. So go check it out. It's fun. Yeah. And as always, right, like as with everything, the test that you take on the Internet is helpful, but it will only give you so much information. Mm -hmm. There are full-on certified Enneagram consultants. I'm going to need to look into that. Including Ashton. Right. Ashton right. is a certified Enneagram expert. So those folks are going to be able to probably go in a little deeper and help and explain a lot of these things. I will probably, in the show notes, include a couple links to a different couple places where you can take the Enneagram test for free. Um, the one that I really liked told you what your wings are, which I'm sure we'll get into. Which is, that was um, kind of a game changer for me. Same. In Millenniagram, however, a one could be conceptualized as the machine, a two as the parent, a three as the winner, a four as the tortured artist, five as the detective. Man, that's such an change from the investigator the oracle for a six the party for the seven an eight could also be called the dragon and a nine the wallflower which one are you i am a two <laughs> the helper i am also a two i am a two wing three i'm a two balanced wing <laughs> So I have both perfectionist tendencies and also that whole achiever getting attention by these. I am unsure at different times, as is normal with the Enneagram, you may score uh, a different type and you may also be someone who scores a particular type, but you also very closely scored with other types. That happened to me. I scored as a two, but I also had very high scores in several of the other categories, which just means that we have a number of different gifts and also, it's a both and, a number of different insecurities that motivate our behavior. Well, take the good with the bad. <laughs> I knew I dated someone who insisted he was a two. Are you really a two? <laughs> I mean, their profession kind of indicated that, yes, that would be a reasonable assumption. But they were actually an eight. Yeah, because interpersonally, I don't think the evidence pointed to that person being a two necessarily. And because when you are integrated, versus disintegrated, you can reflect characteristics of a different Enneagram type. Yeah. So Enneagrated, integrated, <laughs> Enneagrated. <laughs> as it is now referred to. Integrated uh, in this context just means uh, kind of like self-actualized. Um, you are living in your healthiest self. Which doesn't necessarily mean disintegration is horrible because it's inevitable mm -hmm. it happens to everyone 
And being integrated, I don't think is necessarily like a destination. Right. Maybe are there one day and then another day, maybe you're not. I think I've heard other people refer to it as like regulated versus dysregulated. Mm -hmm. I think that this specific language, the integration, I think that makes sense. But the reason I brought that up so early on in the game is because that shows you if that person had been in a disintegrated place in their life at the time that they took the test, that's why they would show up as a two versus when they are more stable in a more integrated space and they take it, they're going to show up as an eight because that's closer to the their truest, truer self. Even though we have already kind of laid some groundwork with this, it's not the worst thing to go in taking the test, not knowing a whole lot about any of the types. Right. And I say that because Glennon talks in the podcast about how she kind of went in knowing that she did not want to be a four. And spoiler alert, Glennon is a four. <laughs> but for years, she would take the test and she would maybe not completely on purpose, but just kind of subconsciously alter her answers because she didn't want to end up as a four. And Abby also kind of admitted that she was not answering as her truest self because being an athlete for so long influenced her answers into making her believe that she was a three, the achiever. Because if you're a star athlete, of course, that's where you think you're going to land. That's your identity right. as an athlete. Right. Um, I love that uh, Marika Messenger. Um, I probably totally, it's probably Marika Messenger. I'm so sorry you hear this and I totally butchered it. Uh, she has a little section on her website, marikamessager.com slash Enneagram. Um, where she refers to disintegration as stress and integration as growth. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's easy, a little bit easier for me to conceptualize. Okay. So uh, let's dive in. The first note that I have is they start off right out of the gate. Last week, we were talking about is the Enneagram all that different from the love languages? And the answer, I'm very happy to say, is yeah, huh? <laughs> It is. And you they betcha. talk about that right away. They talk about how what makes the Enneagram different from some of these other things is that it addresses what motivates your behavior. It's not just surface level actions. It is what's going on in your inner world, which I love. Yes, because it's more immersive mm-hmm. and it, it follows you to the root a little bit more. Um, Glennon also at one point talks about how the Enneagram is a compassion builder, mm. which I think even more than the love languages is such a true thing because the Enneagram reveals about a person, not just their strengths, but what their fear, their Mm. core sister would call it their quantum fear Mm -hmm. that motivates the things that they do, the things that we do. And when you know that about someone, you almost can't help but have 
compassion for them. Yeah, it really fosters empathy mm-hmm. and that ability to have some generosity when you realize that this person, where this person might be coming from. That is enough. That's something that was really big for me when buying into the Enneagram mm-hmm. was like realizing that this, it gets the behind the reason behind and they talk about how ancient it is. Yes, I love this and I'm very passionate about this and I love my sister so, so much. I hope she's listening. I love you, Carly. But we had a little discussion a couple over Thanksgiving about the Enneagram because it is is often used in a lot of religious environments. And I was like, yeah, but it's not, it wasn't started in the church or you know it's not inherently religious it's it's a mixture of lots of ancient wisdoms and so that christianity specifically cannot claim it as their own but they do (laughs) did some research now i want to say i love research i love to do research when it's something that i'm excited about (laughs) and i'm excited about this in case nobody has noticed um now I'm playing am, it very cool, Emily. I am not saying that I agree with any of the information I am about to share. I just think it is interesting. Uh, and I have thoughts about it, and I think you will too. So um, I'm going to begin by saying, so they talk about how old, how ancient the Enneagram is. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's great. And then I realized that just because something is old mm-hmm. does not necessarily mean it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of things, a lot of systems, a lot of just terrible, terrible ideas, concepts that have stuck around for a very long time. So just because it's been around for thousands of years doesn't automatically make it great. I had to remind myself about that. Yes, and, right? It's mm-hmm. stuck around for so long because something about it is compelling. Right. Whether or not that's compelling in a way that brings you peace mm-hmm. and health or compelling in a way that is really unsettling and shocking and just feel you feel very strongly about it, even if it's in a bad way. Yeah. I'm going to shift a little bit to a podcast that belongs to our lovely sister, Brene Brown. Oh! She did an episode with Father Richard Rohr, has a book called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. That's a shocking title. And I'm sorry, so I use sarcasm as a form of love, not <laughs> to be rude. He, okay, it was co-authored by Andreas Ebert, and here's what is interesting to me about what they're proposing. So what they say in this writing is that the Enneagram, they believe, may have evolved from the seven passions of Christ. Okay. Which I had to look into this. I'm not a Catholic. I could totally fumble this. So if you're a Catholic and I get this completely wrong, Please let me know that I've yes, gotten it completely right wrong. Write in and tell us at our email address, which is podthingspodcast at gmail.com. But the seven passions, I thought immediately 
were the same things as the deadly sins. <laughs> they are not. They're not the opposites to the deadly sins? They're not the opposites either. Oh. So there's a lot of overlap. Okay. But they are not exactly the same. Okay. The seven passions are gluttony, lust, avarice. I don't know what that means. I'm Googling it. <laughs> I should know it. It was a word in my play that I was just in and I just never knew what it meant and I was like okay anger dejection listlessness and pride so um this began with a guy named Evagrius Ponticus FYI avarice means greed oh good to know uh he was born in the year 305 Five oh. in what is now Georgia, not the Georgia <laughs> of the United States. <laughs> uh, the son of a bishop at the age of 34. That is not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Son of a preacher, man. <laughs> Just a little, a little further than that. <laughs> um, at the age of 34, he was consecrated a deacon. There's more information, plenty more to learn about him for those of you who are inclined, but I'm going to skip ahead. He developed um, a list of eight vices or distracting thoughts that impede the way to God and to passionless peace of heart. Now, here's how I interpret that in the way that it pertains to the Enneagram. And this is, of course, as with all things, up to interpretation. Right. Um, But for some people, being in your healthiest, most integrated state may feel like some kind of alignment with something divine. Sounds like you're talking about enlightenment. Maybe. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, just feeling the kind of energy that if you are religious, you sometimes feel in your faith. Okay. Um, and like I said, that's not necessarily true for everybody, but it's just maybe kind of feeling like. Like security? Yes. Just like I'm, I'm right where I need to be and I'm, I'm living in my truest and most authentic self. I vibe with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are all different ways to interpret a higher power. For some people, it's just nearness to nature. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the old man with the long white beard. Right. Um, But anyway, uh, however, when he came up with these ideas, we can probably assume that he was imagining the old man with the long white beard. (laughs) But he has these eight vices and they align very closely with the insecurities or the um, sort of the paramount quantum fear of each of these Enneagrams. So the vices are, and these are derived from the seven passions, which we discussed. 
uh, anger, which aligns with the one in the Enneagram. Pride, which would be the two. Vanity or thirst for glory. That's the three. Sadness in the sense of self-pity. Or envy. That's four. Avarice, which we now know is just a fancier word for grief. Is that right? Greed. Greed. Okay. Uh, is five. Gluttony, seven. Lust, eight. And laziness, nine. So these are the quantum fears of each type? Well, um, maybe not the quantum fears, but the, you know, the not so pretty and polished things about each of ourselves that motivate some of our behaviors. Oh, okay. You know? So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's our, it's our, it's our drive. Yeah. It comes from those specific. Yeah. It's some of our ugliness that sometimes motivates the things that we do. Mm. So for example, uh, the two, that's me and you, mm-hmm. the giver, the helper may not always give and help just out of the pure selflessness of their heart. I don't know what you're talking about, but that is completely <laughs> false for the record. One might suggest that maybe those people sometimes help because they are seeking um, some sort of status or pride, which lines up with what he says here. Um, The vanity or the thirst for glory that may in some ways line up with the three who is the achiever, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The person who always has to be doing and really loves to be celebrated. There's nothing wrong with loving to be celebrated. Um, Who doesn't? But the achiever maybe leans into that a little bit more than some of the rest of us do. So I just think that that's kind of an interesting way to consider. Didn't you say there were eight? Yeah. So how does that align with the nine Enneagram type? Um, I'm not good at math, but I'm not that bad at math. He says fear, which is classified in the Enneagram as a type six, is missing. Ah, uh, uh, from the passion. Pope Gregory the first later reduced the list to the one that is still, he says, in vogue today of the classic seven deadly sins. Dropping vanity and sadness, leaving anger, pride, envy, greed, gluttony, lust, and sloth. So I just, I went in a lot of different directions. I talked about the seven passions, the deadly sins, and the Enneagram, if you were able to keep up with all of those things, what are your thoughts? You are your, you are here. <laughs> um, are you specifically asking my thoughts? Yeah. I think it all makes a lot of sense. And I think that <clears throat> if we realize this isn't just about summing up people and putting them in a little box and making an algorithm for understanding each person so that we don't have to actually put thought into it. But this is rooted in, this is the reason why you do these things, where Mm -hmm. this can be a true motivator for you. 
or just a, hey, check yourself. Yeah. Because this is a slippery slope. This is a possibility. That makes so much more sense and it lends so much credibility to it as to why it resonates so deeply with people. And we're all divine creatures. We all have yes. that within us. So accessing that, whether you feel like it connects you to a higher power or just to the deepest part of yourself is what it's all about. We are all stardust, baby. Yeah, we are. Um, he also talks a little bit about, and I didn't dive too deeply into this, but how the number nine is so significant within Christian faith, mm-hmm. which is new information to me. I knew, of course, about the number three, but and seven. I didn't know that about the number nine. Is this something you sound like you know something about this? Do you know about this? I'm yes, but not enough to speak on it. So I didn't, like I said, dive too deeply into this. Nine is a holy number, is all I remember. Well, and the number 153 he brings up. I guess it appears in a number of different places after his resurrection on Easter. Jesus ordered his disciples to cast their to cast their fishing net into the sea. They obeyed and caught 153 large fish, which adds up to if you add the, each one of the digits in plus... 153. That's spooky. Yeah. And I mean, it could be one of those things where you just when you're looking for it, you find it. You know, when you're looking yes. for evidence that the number nine is there you are going to find evidence that the number nine is in there. What was that Jim Carrey movie? That was like, I think that was one of the first exposures I had to Jim Carrey as like a serious actor where he was super mentally ill or something in it. And he Mm. found this number everywhere. Everything was this one number. I haven't seen that one. It was, it was a good one. 42. I don't know. I'll Google it. So I thought about this when you were talking about Number 23 is the name of the movie. Number 23. I've never heard of that in my life. It's good. It's, it's, this should be added to our sleepover watch list. Okay. We've got a theme with Jim Carrey because our last one was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. Oh my God. Breaking my heart, which in all the best ways. Mm hmm. I feel so hard for that movie. Well, now that I have gone on my tangent about the Enneagram and how it, how there are those who would connect it to Christian faith. I would like to hear about an inventory, a personality test. I'm not exactly sure what you took um, in your leadership program that you're doing. Yeah. Okay. So I was a little skeptical and um, a friend of mine who's also in the leadership class with me, Abby, um, legitimately teaches college students about these sorts of personality tests and stuff. Is it Abby Wambach? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she did play soccer, I think. Did you play soccer, Abby? I don't know. I feel like you were sportsy of some sort. I wonder if she's an Enneagram 3. I think she's a 2. Mm. Um, but she was like, 
interested in a very skeptical way to hear how these played out. And I actually found it incredibly thought provoking. We um, took what's called the predictive index. We took the behavioral assessment. I think there are different variations. We did the behavioral assessment. And the purpose of it is measuring four factors of someone's personality. It gives a shines a light on an employee or job candidate's core drives, tells you what kind of worker they are. And then when we understand the type of worker someone is, then we can understand how best to communicate with them, how best to utilize them so that because your your team needs to be made up of people who are all good at different things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're all good at one thing. It takes and nobody all kinds. Yes. But of course, because I make everything about relationships. Because, because that's, everything is. That's my passion project. <laughs> um, I thought that it was really insightful for understanding interpersonal relationships outside of the workplace. And one of the things I love the most about this assessment was as with a lot of personality tests, it does need to dig deep, right? And you do need to get lots of questions. I think the Enneagram, some of the versions have quite an extensive questionnaire. This had two. You answered two questions. I did not know that. Hmm? It listed a bunch of characteristics. And it was the same 27, 30, 40 some characteristics in both questions. One was, how do you think you are perceived at work? And how do you think you are? And this is all very, this is science-based. This is, this is scientifically validated. It has been peer-reviewed. It's been built on, built to the standards of like APA, all kinds of other alphabet soups. And I, it did feel very true for me. That's such a good, that's such a good question. Those two questions side by side. That's just really good. Right. Like you wouldn't think that, that it would really actually reveal a whole lot about a person, but it, it certainly struck a chord for me. Um, so they discussed that they measure these four, um, uh, person four factors of someone's personality, uh, those being dominance, extroversion, patience, and formality. And where you're at on the spectrum of those not only reveals some of your intrinsic motivations and values, but also in I mean, like it it just tells you about control interaction stability conformity and i was just i so my type was a maverick i scored highest in i'm shuffling papers to find what were the other options there were so many okay so many and i was trying to find it on the website but apparently they don't want to give away that ending but there were like there were tons. Um, I my A, B, <coughs> and C and D. A being the strongest, D being the weakest. I scored an A in being 
independent, sociable in the self section, which is like core programming. Self-concept, I was independent and steady. And synthesis, I was independent, sociable, and steady. And the area that you're high in tells you three things about yourself. Where you find your confidence. Where is your source of pleasure versus pain? And what is your natural instinct to do? I'm getting Enneagram vibes. Right? Like it's very <laughs> much Enneagram vibes. And that's why, I, again, why I think it was a better tool than just some other surface level ones that you might take. Mm-hmm. Because it gives you more information behind what or why you do the things that you do. What, what informs your behavior. This also um, is rooted some in ABA, in behavior analysis, stimulus and antecedent stuff, all of the, you know, stuff and things. And that also speaks to me because I, there are still aspects of ABA that I find to be very relevant. Um, But yeah, it was the base, basically what I got out of it was the same thing as we've just discussed with the Enneagram, when you understand where the other person is coming from, what their values are, what their love language is, what their, what drives them, what their fears are, you, you take things less personally mm-hmm. and you start to see, builder. yes, yes. And you start to see like, oh, I do this thing. Because this is where I gain my power from, or that's just what my instinct is. You do that thing that is so different from mine, not as a negative or as an opposite, but because that's just what's natural for you. Glennon and sister had such an aha moment in this episode because sister is a three, uh, the achiever, and Glennon is a Four, uh, the individualist, I think, and professionally and probably personally too, uh, they sometimes butt heads and have conflict. And they realized in this episode that the way that they were communicating, I won't even say with each other, I would say at each other, <laughs> was just, it was not working for either of them because Glennon was communicating to sister in the way that she as a three would want to receive feedback or as a four, as Glennon as a four would want to receive feedback and sister was not receiving it as a four because she's a three. And when you know that and you can apply it, it just makes everything make sense. It really does. The anxiety and the panic away from, and the, and the negativity away from the confusion that can result from why is this person behaving this way. And you know what? When you don't know, you can just ask. That, to me, I swear to God, communication mm-hmm. and transparency. And obviously, you can't, there's, there's a line, there's a balance. You can't just be super transparent all the time. Not everyone has earned the privilege of seeing all your vulnerabilities. However, mm-hmm. asking questions, 
when we don't understand something gets us to the answer faster with less heartache, with less mistakes, Mm -hmm. or with less drama. Yeah. Stay curious about the other person. What does support look like for you right now? Or what do you need from me in this moment? Mm -hmm. I think there's something to being said for also how that makes generosity so much easier. Mm -hmm. The concept that everybody is doing the best that they can with the tools that are available. If I see that what you are doing does not align with my expectation, and I have communicated that expectation clearly, your inability to meet that expectation is not personal. You are doing the best that you can. You are not a bad person. However, you may not have the skill set in order to fill the role that I am asking you to fill. Mm -hmm. But it is so much easier when you realize it's about you and not about me. Yeah. It is not a reflection of how you feel about me. It is a reflection of how you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you even realize that. And that some people are not able to realize that. Mm -hmm. And then, again, being generous with that and going, okay, I understand that you are not able to have the Mm self-reflection or whatever that lets you see that this is what it's really about. And loving you anyways. Yeah. I just, I think this is kind of taking me back to last week when we were talking about... um how two people don't necessarily have to have the same love language in order to be successful in relationship to one another. There was no, am I getting this right? Yeah. The evidence said that those two do not necessarily fare any better than the rest of us. Um, so it's not necessarily about being aligned. aligned. It's being curious about the other person wanting to see the other person. I think it's about being aligned with yourself Mm -hmm. and understanding that is only one person. Mm -hmm. That is me. That Mm -hmm. is only the universal truth for me. And then taking that curiosity to the other person and being willing to explore an alternative truth or an alternative perspective or reality or whatever you want to say. You I think you shared something at one point that was like I can only understand you as much as I'm willing to understand myself. Did you? I've heard that before. It sounds very smart so I like to take credit for it. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I I do um I think I think what we're actually talking about is Brené Brown. It would not surprise me. But I did, I did make a TikTok about you will never be able to love anyone until you love yourself. Mm -hmm. And that having to do with belonging. Yeah. And if you don't know who you are as a person, you won't know how to belong. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's all very along the same lines of what you just said. Maybe not even loving yourself, but knowing yourself. Yeah. That's non-negotiable. And also one of the most difficult things to accomplish, it takes, it's uncomfortable to say the least and requires a lot of support. And for some of us, it requires a lot of 
therapeutic mental health support, and mm-hmm. that shit ain't cheap. It is not. Um, what do you think about applying the Enneagram or any of these personality tests, but specifically the Enneagram? What do you think about using it? Okay, so <laughs> I. What I, I've listened to a few books on the Enneagram, more mm-hmm. than a few. And I recall one of the books that I listened to talking about you can't Enneagram type kids because your Enneagram comes from your core childhood wounding. I will say that. As I was listening to the book, Jack was in the car with me one day. And it just so happened that they we were talk, the the chapter was on the perfectionist and Jack was like, oh, God, that's me. And I was like, oh, shit, I ain't wrong. Yeah. How sad is that, that my, I think at the time, six and a half, seven-year-old child was identifying childhood core wounds. Or he was identifying that he knows himself. (gasps) How did he get those wounds to begin with? Me. That's how. I mean... I mean, I guess that's being a little self-absorbed and it's a not little about egocentric, you. right? It's not all about what you. What are you talking about? <laughs> False. But the, the, just the importance of letting kids grow and develop on their own yeah. without forcing. It's kind of like that whole reading the types mm-hmm. and the questions before you answer the test so that you don't put yourself in a box or you don't attempt to manipulate and alter the results yeah there was definitely conflicting research and opinions when I looked up this information because I wanted to use it at school because I have a particular group of students who are often in conflict with one another and what they're missing more than anything is just sort of an understanding of what is motivating the other person to do the things that they do. Um, so I thought, I wonder if this is something, I wonder if this is a tool that I could give them. So I hop online and I saw that there were people who said, you can cautiously use this with kids beginning around age 11. That makes sense because you've already done most of the fucking <laughs> up at that point. But it is imperative that if you're going to use this with kids, you let them know that this is not about putting themselves or anyone else in a box. It's not about a label that you carry for life. We are evolving. Certainly when you're 11, you've got a lot of growth and evolution ahead of you. Thank God. Because (laughs) 36-year-old Annalise has way easier time navigating life than 11-year-old Annalise did. I bet 11-year-old me knew how she had fun. And 30. God, this is why we make such a dynamic duo. Yeah, it's a both and. Because I rushed to judging myself then. You rushed to judging yourself now. (laughs) Put us together and we're a whole ass person. So, yeah, I just, I find that interesting that, um, You can if you do it cautiously and mindfully in some ways apply the Enneagram with kids of a certain age. 
Yeah, I like that because the concept then isn't focusing so much on your label or your identity. I am a helper. Mm-hmm. I am the achiever. I am an eight. Eights are the best. Like, It's not about that. It's about this person is motivated by this thing mm-hmm. or this person is afraid of this thing or this is the perspective that a per a person it's a doorway to empathy yeah that's mm-hmm. there it is there it is again and understanding that we all possess these traits like the enneagram symbol is one l- big connected line mm-hmm. with a triangle in the middle um and that talks about just that's also how you map integration versus disintegration um but uh, I, I think that, again, knowing that we can each possess one at any time, any of these characteristics, that, of course, then you could use it with kids. Because mm-hmm. it, again, fosters that empathy. And that brings me back to this whole thing about disintegration and integration or stress versus growth. And how we can take on characteristics of other Enneagram types based on where we're at in our life that day or at that point in time in our lives. For example, a one during times of growth takes on the characteristics of a seven. And in times of stress, takes on characteristics of a four. And there's, there's a whole formula for it, and that's part of what makes up this Enneagram symbol, is how it's all connected. I know that as a two, when I'm feeling stressed, I act more like an eight. In that, I want to control. When I am more integrated, I behave more like a four. In that, I feel confident in who I am and my feelings. When you put those three elements together, you get a two. But that doesn't mean that I can only understand what it's like to be a two because at times I am a four and at times I am an eight. And that's why this person that I dated at the time that he took this test was a two because that was a stressful time for them. Mm -hmm. And that's often when we turn to things like the Enneagram, the love languages, the predictive index, when we are in crisis and we are just searching for a deeper meaning of why are we doing the things that we're doing, that's when we go to a higher power, mm-hmm. whether that's God or self or the Enneagram. We're looking for answers. And I think that's good. I think that's, that's not a bad thing. For Anyone out there who has been eagerly awaiting your Spotify wrapped, check out the Enneagram. Do you know about Spotify wrapped? I don't. I don't. Know don't. If you even listen to Spotify. Are we being sponsored? No? <laughs> Not yet. No. But I'm sure you've seen it, though, on Instagram. Like, this is the time of year where oh. Spotify puts together a collection of all of the your song profile. Shut up. I have something to say about this, too. Yes, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. Okay. So I think this is new this year. I didn't notice it before, but I got my Spotify wrapped and they added this slide where they give you an identity 
And so it it labeled me the adventurer, which in my actual life could probably not be further from the truth. But apparently, <laughs> musically, it says you're a seeker of sound. You venture out into the unknown, searching for fresher artists, deeper cuts, newer tracks, especially gems yet to be found. It even gives you a four letter code like a what is it the Myers-Briggs oh so my code is ENVU exploration newness variety uniqueness I mean Spotify knows that we are all just searching for an identity and anybody who's willing to hand us an identity we're ready to accept it. You could not be more of a millennial right now. And I love it. That is so fascinating. And it also reminds me of one of my favorite albums of all time. By Sleeping at Last, they did an album called The Enneagram. Atlas Enneagram. That's so brilliant. And each, there are nine songs on the album and each one of them is written from the perspective of one of the types of the Enneagram. I did not know this. You'll have to remind me. Are there lyrics or it's yes. only okay. I didn't know this. I knew that I that I liked sleeping at last and I I was li- just looking for something that I didn't know well enough to sing along as I was trying to work on stuff. And I kept finding myself going back to these two songs. Get out. Were they your type? Yes, it was two and eight. That's crazy. And that was a time in my life when I felt pretty lost. Uh huh. But the listening to the song two, once I realized what I was, what it was going on, and what it was about, it is just wild how well they nail for every enneagram type. Because I've had other people listen to it who are other Enneagram types. And they're like, holy shit, that is me. It was spooky. That's so cool. I can't wait to listen to it. I had no idea. I was like, I don't know why this is called Two, but I love this song too. (laughs) And then then I was introduced to the Enneagram. And then I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) I saw the light bulb go off. It was amazing. And not because I need to fit myself into a little box or have an identity, but it is around being seen. And that introspection of, ah, someone else feels what I feel. And it was, the Enneagram in that situation was lining up with something that was already there. Yes. You didn't adjust it to fit into something that the Enneagram was offering you. Right. It already did. Mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Ancient wisdom. I think this is probably the perfect stopping point Mm -hmm. because we are just under an hour and we've never done that before. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to know what are your Enneagram types? We want to know what are your fears? What are your weaknesses? What are you good at? I do want to do one last thing. Also, if you guys like this and you want more info on the Enneagram, please let us know. Write in. We can we can do a part two. In case you haven't noticed, this is a 
subject that I enjoy talking about and could probably go on and on for days. Not that any of you are asking me to go on and on for days. I am. (laughs) I'm going to go throw it back to Hannah Page's book, um, Millenniagram. And she gives several clever little examples of each Enneagram type in a specific situation. And I really vibe with how each type fucks up their love life. A one is, I mean, I can work with this, I guess. You've got potential. You're not their real mom. Piss off. (laughs) Twos. (laughs) This is painful. Why am I the only one who ever gives anything in this relationship? Oof. (laughs) Threes. Hmm. I wonder if I could date my way into X profession or social circle. That tracks. Fours. I always knew you would never get me. You're not deep enough. And you didn't even read that book I casually mentioned being my favorite in hopes that you would care enough to probe over it and take notes. Seven. uh, Fives. Hello, I must retreat into my mind palace and emotionally ignore you for several major life crises. Catch you on the flip. I love that you committed to that character. I even heard the subtle accent. Oh, did you? <laughs> this is the theater, darling. <laughs> Sixes. I will now commence pushing you away at different intervals and varying intensities in order to be sure that you will always come back to me. That one also stings a little. I was going to say, are we all sixes? We all have these characters. Yeah. Sevens. I can't help that they were texting me long into the night about their deepest, darkest secrets. I'm addicted to connection. Okay. These are are all starting to sound very spooky. I was going to say, I. Oh, God. (laughs) Eights. Because I dated an eight. Must maintain control. Of this and all situations. Man, shots fired. (laughs) Pew, pew, pew. I mean, it's good because they'll never listen to this. But uh, no, I'm talking about for me personally. (laughs) Because I have been known from time to time to be a little bit of a control monster. Again, twos Mm -hmm. take on characteristics of eights when we're disintegrated or when we're stressed. Can confirm. And this kind of goes back to the whole, are you living life in a state of freeze? I talked about that in therapy today. My therapist just stared at me agape. And she was like, huh. I'm like, I know. That's my best friend. (laughs) Finally, nines. Hello. I am high maintenance about being low maintenance. If I have to believe this lie about me, so do you. (laughs) If any of these resonate with you or if you have your own opinions on each Enneagram type, either in dating or in parenting or in other relationships, or you have other resources for Enneagram consultants, whatever their titles are, please let us know. Again, we love hearing from you. Even if you're like, you guys are crazy and probably shouldn't have a platform. We're like, oh my God. (laughs) You took the time. You listened to how (laughs) we feel so loved. Thank you so much for listening to We Can Do Pod Things, a podcast where we talk about things from the podcast. We can do hard things and a lot of other stuff. I am Annalise. I'm Emily. Thank you so much. Bye.